Well, good morning, everyone, on this beautiful, sunny Sunday morning. I appreciate your presence more than ever on a day when you could be in, in the park frolicking instead. Uh, also, I should say, don't forget, as the sun moves round in the room, you, you might like to move out of its, its rays and uh, yeah, shift round following the sun or avoiding it. Welcome to Essex Church, home of this gathered community known as Kensington Unitarians. Um, a particularly welcome to anyone who's here for the first time today. For anyone who doesn't know me, my name is Jane. I work here as Outreach Officer and I've been a member of the congregation for 18 years now, doing bits and bobs about the place. Our Minister Sarah is having a well-earned day off today, so I'll be leading this morning's service. Our opening words are by Sandra Fees. This is a house of worship our house of worship. We gather here to give worth and meaning to our lives, to honour the presence and mystery of the divine that greets us in our coming in and going out, in our very being, in our being here. We have come here today to this sacred place, this sanctuary. We've brought our whole selves, all of who we are, our exuberance and our worries, our grudges and our awakenings, our distractions and our callings, the storms and joys of being human. We've brought our dreams for this religious community and our passion for the values that we cherish most. I invite you to bring to mind your dreams for this spiritual home, for this community of love and care. What dreams do you bring? What blessings will you offer? What words of inspiration and hope do you carry? Let's all look out for opportunities to share our dreams, our blessings and our hopes this day. We light this chalice to honour our past, all those who came before us, the prophets who paved the way for our liberal religion in the world and for the individuals who founded and cared for this Unitarian community right here in London, sustaining this church so it's still here for us to be part of today. We light this chalice to honour our present for our current search for truth and meaning our nurture of diverse spiritual paths and our service to the cause of love and justice, acknowledging our sacred responsibility to live our principles with integrity. And we light this chalice to honour our future for a kinder and fairer world, for a people and a planet made whole by the spirit of life. May the spirit of life and love bless our gathering as we feel the divine presence amongst us here and now. In the quiet of this hour, may each person find what they most need. May the troubled find peace. May the confused find insight. May the downhearted find comfort. May the lonely find a sense of companionship. 
May the strong find moments of challenge, learning and growth. As we look back over the past week, let us silently give thanks for the joys and pleasures we've known. Moments of love and connection. Experiences of wonder and delight. Feelings of achievement, creativity and flow. Those times when we felt most alive and awake. Let's also ask for the consolation, forgiveness and guidance we may need as we acknowledge our sorrows and regrets. Times of loss, pain, anger and fear. Realisation, perhaps, of our own mistakes and failings. Awareness of missed opportunities, things left unsaid or undone. Those moments when we might have struggled and felt like a mess. Expanding our circle of concern, let us bring to mind now those people places and situations that are in need of our prayers right now and hold them in the light. Let's remember those people we know to be suffering, maybe family, friends or loved ones, those closest to our heart. Maybe also those who we find difficult, those with whom we are in need of reconciliation. And maybe also those we don't know so well, those we've only heard about in the news. Let's remember all of those places around the world and those places on our doorstep where there is violence, unrest or instability. And let us also remember those who are striving to bring peace to those places. And let's remember those situations of injustice we are aware of, whether domestic and personal, or systemic and political. And let's remember those who struggle on in the hope that justice will prevail. God of all love, we offer up our joys and concerns, our beauty and our brokenness, and we call on you for insight, healing, and renewal. As we look forward to the coming week, help us to live well and be our best selves, using our gifts in the service of love, justice and peace. Amen. There are two kinds of people in the world, cat people and dog people. I tried to be a cat person not long ago. My family even bought a house that came equipped with its own cat, a pretty white kitten that had been abandoned by its previous owners. We immediately adopted her and tried to love her. But cats, as Snowflake immediately notified me, 
allow themselves to be loved only on their own terms and at their discretion. Cat people, Snowflake reminded me, must have a strong sense of who they are and be able to nurture themselves. They must be able to appreciate radical individualism. Cat people, forgive me if I slander, must also find some perverse satisfaction in loving someone who will never love them back. <laughs> it must be clear by now that I am, and always will be, a dog person. <laughs> After putting up with our family for a year, Snowflake departed our neighbourhood. Her leaving made room in our family psyche for what the children and I had long desired, a dog. The newest addition to our family is a beautiful English Springer Spaniel named Hannah. She loves her people pathetically, licking my toes if I let her. She begs to be around us and is miserable when we are gone for any length of time. She desperately needs us and we dog people who want to be so needed lap it up. As a solid dog person since age four, I can say honestly that dog people are deeply interdependent. We need to be needed. We want to be slobbered over. We love cavorting like children and whispering sweet nothings to adoring eyes. There is nothing quite like the complete devotion of a dog, and we love it. This world needs both kinds of people. Cat people who are able to work independently and quietly, content to know they are making a solid difference in the PTA, church or synagogue. And dog people who make lots of noise, frolic with children and tell everyone how wonderful they are. However, the next time a stray cat comes to my house, I won't try to change my basic nature. I'm calling a cat person to come and take it off my hands. Truck Driver by Gordon McKeeman. The other day I was driving on an expressway. These days expressway driving seems a frantic enterprise. Near one of the exit ramps, one of the highway denizens, a huge articulated lorry, had pulled over onto the verge. The driver had emerged and was gathering some wild plants along the side of the road. In that moment, another stereotype bit the dust. I know what truck drivers are like. They are strong, burly, masters of profanity, rootless wanderers who have neither homes nor families. They care not a whit for sunsets, mountain peaks, seashores, or wildflowers. But now I have seen one take the time to stop and look carefully at the splendor by the roadside. I've been by that spot numerous times. Not once did I take the time or trouble to stop and look at the miracles of leaf and flower. Oh, goodbye, shattered image. I think I shall not miss you at all. You were, it should be said, quite convenient. You allowed me the luxury of not having to think of truck drivers as real people, 
as varied as the vast diversity of wild flowers. Stereotypic thinking does not impart solidity or dimensionality to an object. Quite the opposite. It dispenses with the details and eliminates the idiosyncrasies of individuals by making them members of a class of things, all of which have identical characteristics. Well, all truck drivers do have a common characteristic. They drive truck. That may exhaust the list of characteristics they share. There's one of them, at least, who notices what is growing beside the road. Quite a feat, actually, at 70 miles an hour. As the number of people inhabiting our globe grows, so, I suppose, will the temptation to group people into classes, apply labels to them, and mistake the label for the far more complex reality. Perhaps the image of the truck driver stopping to gather wildflowers by the side of the road can be a reminder of how perilous, how depersonalizing, how diminishing such stereotypes can be. I've had a number of stereotypes pasted on me as I pause to think about them. I like my own name better than any of them. I have a hunch that others like their names as well, far better than a label and far, far better than a number. The struggle to maintain a sense of importance for each of us may be long and often difficult. The challenge is quite extraordinary every ordinary day. We've now come to a time of meditation. You might want to put down anything you don't need to be holding, get comfortable in your chair, you might want to put your feet flat on the floor, close your eyes or focus on the chalice in the middle. I'm going to read some introductory words by Richard S. Gilbert to take us into a good few minutes of shared stillness and silence. And I'll sound the bell to bring our meditation to a close. The human race is a vast rainbow bursting into view. A dazzling spectrum of different races, ages, abilities, genders and sexualities. Yet for all, blood is red, the sky is blue, the earth is brown and the night dark. In size and shape we are a varied pattern of tall and short, thin and fat, showy and plain. Yet for all there is skin to touch, a heart to break, eyes to cry, lips to speak. We are perhaps a tower of Babel, a jumble of voices grasping for words in many languages, groping for ways to say love, peace, pity and hope. Faiths compete, claiming the one way, Saviours abound, pointing to salvation. We are united only by our urge to search. Boundaries divide us. Lines are drawn to mark our diversity. Categories separating the human race from itself. And yet. These lines and labels help make visible the marginalised identities the stories and experiences which might otherwise be invisible, overlooked or undervalued. A lover's loss, a child's cry, a musician's note, an artist's new creation, 
Any of these might brush aside the boundaries between us and forge a new connection. Strength and weakness, arrogance and humility, confidence and fear live together in each one, reminding us that we share a common humanity. We are all more human than otherwise. Here at Essex Church, since the start of the year, we've chosen a different theme to focus on each month in worship. For, for July, our theme is identity. And I put my hand up to lead this first service of the month, initially thinking about issues around sexual identity and gender identity in particular. This is partly a nod to next week's Pride in London march taking place next Saturday. And uh, there's a small contingent of Unitarians going along to proclaim our inclusive welcome. And it's partly looking back to the workshop we had a few weeks ago, working on our welcome, a training day to focus on the ways in which we Unitarians could be ever more hospitable to people who identify as LGBTQIA and beyond. That is, to spell it out, people who are lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, intersex, asexual and so on. The list of letters in that acronym has steadily grown in length over the last few years as the rainbow umbrella has grown ever larger to include those identities that might be ones you're not familiar with even now. And I know some people aren't all that keen, aren't all that sure about the need for ever more labels or letters. In today's service I want to put the case that this proliferation of labels is a good thing, mostly. Though if you're unfamiliar with the terminology, I can see it might be a bit confusing. And as an aside, genuine offer, anyone who missed the workshop and wished they were there, I can provide you with a custom set of rainbow-coloured handouts so you can read up at least on some of what we covered on the day. Let me know after the service. But first, let's take a step back and think about identity and labels more generally. It seems to me that by default, religious liberals have a pretty negative view of labels. Uh, the reading that Anthony gave for us earlier about the truck driver who stopped to look at wildflowers challenged us to see beyond the stereotypes which might come to mind on first hearing that label, truck driver. It asked us to be wary about reducing complex and multifaceted human beings by dismissively categorising them. 
And that was typical of the sort of thing I came across when looking at what other Unitarians had said about labels. Humans are infinitely varied and peculiar, and if we try and pin them down and characterise them with a single term, we're invariably going to do them a disservice. As we heard in the reading, if somebody tells us they're a truck driver, the only thing we know about them for sure is that they drive a truck. The other reading that Gina and Bonnie gave for us about cat people and dog people, perhaps that was a bit more playful and laid back about labels. But I think this shows up an important distinction. If someone says, I'm a cat person or I'm a dog person, first off, it's a label they've chosen for themselves. It's not one that generally people have applied to them. It also suggests that as well as having a preference for feline or canine company, they do at least to some degree, if only as a joke, see some similarity between themselves and the little stereotypes that have built up around cat people and dog people. In some ways, the label provides a useful shorthand for a few personality traits, traits that they might see in themselves. And for cat and dog people, that's more or less as far as it goes. I know people really love their pets, and rightly so, but I'm not sure that many people would see cat person or dog person as a label that was really central to their identity. Neither cat people nor dog people, as far as I can tell, are particularly oppressed or marginalised. They won't be holding a march through central London the week after next to assert their rights and dignity. In a nutshell, the message I want to get across today is simply this. It is sensible to be a bit wary about labelling other people or reducing them to a label because this can lead to doing them an injustice, failing to see them as a fully rounded human. However, if someone chooses to apply a label to themselves, they have almost certainly done that for a very good reason. And we ought to respect that, take notice, take it seriously. If we listen to voices from marginalised groups, I'm thinking particularly of LGBTQ plus people because we've been doing a bit of work on that recently. If we listen to those voices about why these labels matter, we're going to learn something and it will be something that's got a wider application when thinking about identity and particularly oppression based on identity. No amount of labels can really capture the essence of any human being, but labels can help us to reflect on our own identity, to connect with others who have similar identities and experiences, and also to notice and pay attention to the voices of people who are very different from us, whose identities and experiences we might otherwise overlook or dismiss altogether. I want to introduce a concept here. I'm going to call it the default human. This is not an ideal term. I'm going to ask you to bear with me and see how it pans out as I, as I fill in the concept. In very many spheres of life, here in Britain and in much of the Western world, our media, our language, for many of us, even our internalised ways of thinking, they're biased in such a way that the standard model of the default human that we might call to mind is white, male, middle class, comfortably off, straight, cisgender, able-bodied, physically healthy, mentally well, and so on, so on. You can extend that list indefinitely. Um, I should say, if fate has dealt you that particular set of characteristics, if you're a pretty good match for the default human, none of which follows is a, a criticism of you. Um, the characteristics in themselves are neutral. But to some extent, it's implied that these characteristics are in some way better than the alternatives. 
In general, people who are a better fit to this model of the default human, who tick more of those boxes, tend to be more well represented in the media, their stories are more often told, their experience is more often reflected in TV, film and literature, they tend to be more well represented in positions of power and influence, and you could say they tend to have an easier ride in life in various ways, at least to some degree. Of course this is a generalisation, but let's see where it takes us. I'm sure it's not news to most of you anyway. Many of you, I'm sure, will instinctively reflect on your own relative advantages and disadvantages when compared to the default human. Almost as an aside, I wanted to share an example that I think is not that well known um, to sort of kick us out of thinking of all the usual examples. This default causes real material harm, which some of us might be totally unaware of. In an article entitled, The World is Designed for Men, published two years ago, a product designer called Kat Ely wrote about the issue of seat belts and driver safety. The, uh, the famous crash test dummy, when they uh, run a rig into a wall to see how the design of the car affects safety, the crash test dummy is set as the size of the average man. Um, for years, manufacturers have overlooked the fact that the average woman, in general, is rather smaller. And this makes a difference about where you set the seat belts and how other features in the car will affect your safety. Just a few years ago, some high-end manufacturers started testing on both sides of sizes of dummy, the, the male size and the female size, as it were, and discovered that cars that were previously getting five-star safety ratings when tested on male dummies alone fell to two-star safety ratings once they included the female size body. As a result, female drivers are 47% more likely than males to be seriously injured in a car crash. And that's just one example that I didn't think that was that well known about the, the material consequences to having a, an unexamined default humanity. We know there are many more. It's not really representative of our true diversity as humans. So that's just an illustration to say it's not just about overt discrimination. That's not the only thing I'm talking about today from some sort of old boys club or default humans club. It's about this implicit image of a default human, which can insidiously affect lots of other decisions we're making without us even knowing it. So, if you are not white, male, middle class, comfortably off, straight, cisgender, able-bodied, physically healthy, mentally well, and so on, there are likely to be significant aspects of your life experience which aren't well represented in the media, which rarely get reflected back at you in stories, on TV, or in literature, and which aren't always talked about freely in the street, down the pub, or even in church. If our experiences are not visible, it can feel like we've been forgotten or ignored by society. It can almost feel as if we don't exist, as if our reality doesn't matter to anyone. If we never get to hear about other people like us, we can feel isolated, or we might have feelings and experiences we can't make sense of alone. If our identity is treated as invalid, we might feel pressured to conform or to hide away. If some aspect of our identity isn't sympathetically, re sympathetically represented in the media or in public life, this might stir up ill feeling against us. It might well lead to bullying, abuse or violence. It might even enable the authorities to get away with neglecting or scapegoating people like us, whoever us is. People sometimes, quite often, ask the question, why do we need labels at all? 
Or you might say, surely in the end we're all just human. Can't we just treat everybody the same? Both of these sound perfectly reasonable. They're coming from a good place. But actually, treating everyone the same doesn't always end up with a fair result. People have all sorts of different needs. They're facing all sorts of different challenges in life. And taking into account the specific detail of their life circumstances can help us do right by them. You know, um, Transport for London have been trialling a, a little badge, literally a label, um, for people with invisible disabilities, saying, please offer me a seat, like the uh, baby on board badge. This is uh, a way in which if someone tells us their label, if someone tells us what they're going through, what their experience is, we can make the world a little bit more hospitable for them, having digested that information. We often talk about the golden rule, usually formed as, do to others what you want them to do. I'm going to say it again. Do to others what you want them to do to you. There's various ways of phrasing it. But this assumes that other people want to be treated the same way that you would like to be treated. And this isn't always the case, often for very good reason. Although we are all equally worthy of love and kindness, we're not all the same. And bringing our differences to light helps us to truly see each other and live together in right relationship. Perhaps a better formulation of this rule for life is what is sometimes called the platinum rule. Treat others the way they want to be treated. And that requires us to pay attention to who people really are and what their lives are really like. A good friend of mine described self-chosen labels as hard-won expressions of selfhood. And as Audrey Lord puts it in the words on the front of your order of service, if I didn't define myself for myself, I would be crunched into other people's fantasies for me and eaten alive. In a world where the odds are somewhat stacked in favour of the default human, it can be an act of courage and defiant resistance to proudly claim and proclaim your identity. And giving yourself one of these labels can be the first step in finding and connecting with kindred souls who share the same identity, similar life experiences, finding a sense of solidarity and comfort, and a larger community where together you can gather the strength to stand up, be seen and be heard. I'd like to close now with a short prayer using words adapted from the UU Minister Marta Valentin. This prayer acknowledges the great gift of human diversity. It asks for help to see the unseen and hear the unheard as we strive to live as an ever more inclusive and welcoming community in which every human life and label is fully appreciated as part of the unfolding of God. So let's take a moment for this prayer now. God of all love, source of all, we human beings have emerged as a world of rainbows, refracting your magnificent image, and we sing our praises in your honour. There are many in our city and in our wider world who are lost, hurt and dying, unseen. There are many who dare not speak, Many who speak and are not heard. Many who wish to speak and have no words. Help us all to gather in community, worship together, sit at the table as one and overcome the misconceptions that divide us. In this world which daily challenges our existence, the inner strength that allows us to hold our ground enlarges with every resolution to speak on your behalf. 
to honour the divinity within ourselves and to give witness as children of your light. May this strengthen our resolve to build right here an ever more inclusive community of welcome for all. Amen. Gathered here in all our splendid variety, with all the weird and wonderful labels we might claim for ourselves and celebrating our diverse identities, we give thanks for the blessing of community as we share our common dream. Homes and schools where children thrive, neighbourhoods that are safe and clean, a city rich in colours and cultures, an economy where no one is expendable, a beloved community where rich and poor alike have access to all they need for a healthy, dignified and productive life. Churches, mosques, synagogues and temples all sharing the deepest hope to be of service to a hurting world. As we leave this place, enable us to carry forth this prayer into the coming week, turning our thoughts towards understanding, our hearts towards love and justice, and our hands towards the work of peace. Amen.